Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to the Chasing Frets podcast. My name is Jason Shadow from Premier Guitar, and I'm here once again with Andy Ellis. Hey, everyone. So just the other day, we launched the podcast with Tommy Emanuel. Um, he's going to be our guest this week, and it was such an interesting uh, time, Andy, to, to sit and just hear him just spew out knowledge about <laughs> his how he approaches solo guitar. That was such a fun talk with him. Mm-hmm. And so we have him back uh, today to talk about one of his favorite topics, maybe a second favorite topic after talking about guitar in general, and that's uh, Chet Atkins, which was which was a real important mentor to him. Yeah. Um, and I know you did you get to interview Chet Atkins ever back in the day, Andy? No, I didn't interview Chet, but I had a guitar teaching studio on Music Row, and Chet, believe it or not, would sometimes stop by and visit. <laughs> Just to hang out? He just kind of strolled in? Well, you see, um, where I had my office upstairs from my office was a, uh, a clothing designer, who, who Judy's of Nashville, and she would make all the costumes for the country performers, and Chet yeah. would go get his clothes. Oh. So he would stop by on his way up or typically on his way back mm-hmm. and poke his head in because I had a guitar teaching studio and a four-track studio. Wow. And I played Chapman Stick, mm-hmm. and he would sometimes come by and ask me to play Chapman Stick. So I played Chapman Stick for <laughs> Chet Atkins. Just to kind of, was he just like interested? Like he was curious as to how you kind of did it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And he's very generous. He uh, is encouraging, you know, was yeah. encouraging to someone like myself who was, you know, just trying to make my way with music. Right. Mm. Well, uh, I think that theme carries over to stories Tommy mm. tells. And he also, if you aren't familiar with uh, kind of the Chet Atkins style, he does even give some excellent uh, recommendations for albums and songs to, to check out. So uh, we're going to get right to that. Uh, please make sure to uh, subscribe and rate uh, our podcast and leave a review wherever you can, wherever you're getting this. And if you have any feedback for us, questions or comments or concerns even, you can uh, hit us up at chasingfrets at Guitar. Dot com. So uh, well, let's get right to it. And here's uh, here's Tommy talking all about Chet Atkins. Today's topic is one that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that is of uh, kind of Chet's, Chet Atkins' influence on you and some of your favorite uh, recordings and albums that that Chet has done. So first, tell me, Tommy, when did you and Chet first meet? 
We met in person. Uh, first time was 1980, um, back when I had hair and teeth. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I made my pilgrimage to the United States for the first time. I flew into Los Angeles, went to a friend's wedding, and then I went to see Elton John at the Hollywood Bowl. And then I flew out to Nashville to meet my childhood hero, meet the man who taught me that I had stolen so much from and been inspired by him, you know, more than words can, can say. Um, so I had, I had written Chet a letter when I was 11 years old and I sent it to him at RCA Records and he wrote back and sent me a signed black and white photograph. And that was my, my treasure. Um, anyway, I got a letter from him when I was about oh, 24 or 22 maybe, um, and someone had sent him a tape of me sitting in their lounge room playing just for, just for fun for them. And he got it and he loved it and he wrote back to say how impressed he was. Here's my office number. Call me when you get to Nashville. So I knew something must have been up because he imagined all the all the people who copied him who played his stuff really badly. It's just like you, you, it's it's unbearable to hear that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, I got his number when I arrived in Nashville. Um, I waited till the next morning and they said he's normally at the office around 10 a.m. And I rang right on one minute past 10 and he answered the phone and I said, I'm looking for Mr. Atkins. And he said, this is he. And I said, it's Tommy Emanuel from Australia, thinking he won't have a clue who I am. He said, hey, Tommy, I've got your tape right here. I was just playing it for somebody. Where are you? And I said, I'm down the road in the Holiday Inn. He said, well, come on down. I'll see you right now. And I just just about fainted. I got in my little rent rental car with my nylon string guitar and I raced down to his office. And I'm sitting downstairs waiting and, and his secretary brings him on the intercom and I can hear his voice and I know that voice. That's him, my hero. He comes down the stairs carrying a, a nylon string guitar and there he is. You know, I've only ever seen him on the cover of his albums. I've never seen him on TV. We didn't have video in those days. I've never heard him other than the records. And he was so sweet he really was he came over to me and I must have had teary eyes you know and I must have been trembling a little and he just put me at ease straight away and uh, and he talked really quietly and and he put his hand on my shoulder and he says let's go in here and pick a little you know and we went into a side room with a with a debt like a conference desk and everything and I went straight into McGee, which I stole from him anyway. Uh, and, and you know what he did? He didn't say anything. He just sat there and watched me for a while. And he was just like, he was like a, an x-ray. He was x-raying everything I was doing. He was following me. And then he just joined in in the chorus. He came in playing a harmony and then he took a solo. You could have sworn that we'd been playing together all our lives. He made me sound like I really knew what I was doing. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that was the first time I, I met Chet. And, and how then, old were you at this time? 
about uh, 22 or 23, something like that. Years later, uh, I stayed in touch with him and I every now and again I'd write a song and I'd send it to him. And every time I called him, I'd say, hey, Chet, I've got this new song. And he'd say, can you hum it? Can you sing it? You know, he's making sure that whatever melody I'm writing, you better be able to sing it and remember it or put words to it, you know. And so, you know, unless you're as good as Jerry Reed was, where you can write something like Jerry's Breakdown and play a million notes, and every one of them is incredible. You know, I don't think I can do that. Uh, I can write a song that you can put words to, you know. And so, uh, but anyway, I came to Nashville in 95, and I was part of a country music showcase for CMA Week. And, and so there were like five major artists from Australia and I was the token instrumentalist. So all the other artists voted to put me on first, get me over with so that they can come out and be glorified. Uh, you know, and um, so I, I rang Chet and I told him that I was going to be playing first at this presentation at the Ace of Clubs. And he said, okay, I'll bring the Columbia folk down. He, he was signed with uh, the Columbia label, which is Sony. And so he brought down, you know, half a dozen people from the record label. And it was a, it was a standing only gig and they were right down the front. And uh, these, uh, these people didn't have a clue what I was about or what I was, I was going to do. And I had a 15 minute set and I came out and I threw everything I could at them. I hosed the crap out of them. And they went crazy. They yelled and screamed and, and it was an amazing response. An American audience, what do you expect? Anyway, so after the show, Chet came back and said, boy, we were really underwhelmed, which means he, he liked it. And so we'd had the same thing the next night. We had the same showcase in the same club and it was a different audience. Chet came down again and, uh, and brought more people from Colombia and uh and they were really excited and enthusiastic and all that and then the next day i had to leave and go back to australia because i had some tour dates to do and i got a call when i got home a week after that the phone rang and it was chet and he said very casually he said well these columbia people are very excited about you he said would you like to record together and i said you mean you and me and he said yeah let's do an album together he said, the last thing I'd done was the album with, with Mark Knopfler. And he said, would you like to do something together? And I, I almost, uh, I don't know, I almost fell onto my knees. And uh, um, I was so overwhelmed with emotion. But I kept it together and, I, and he started then, he already had a plan. He'd been thinking about it. He said, I'm, I'm already writing songs for this album. I've got some ideas, I'm gonna send you a tape. You start writing stuff and send me a tape and away we go. We don't have to, you know, if you've got a song that you've written that uh, there's no co-write, that doesn't matter, just send it to me, you know. Mm -hmm. So I hung up the phone and I was like, what just happened, you know? What happened to my life? It, it's, it's changed forever. And anyway, so I immediately picked up my guitar and I wrote Mr. Guitar which was Chet's moniker, right? And I, I wrote it in about 10 minutes and I rang him back and I got my little daughter, she was six years old, 
I got her to stand there with the phone holding up to my guitar and I said, Chief, I've written you a song. It's called Mr. Guitar and I played it. You know. other songs and I sent them to him on a tape and he loved them all and they all ended up on the album including Walsing Matilda the uh, the Australian national anthem and uh, yeah so I recorded that album and that was our first that was my first Grammy nomination was um, Chet's song Smoky Mountain Lullaby I could talk all day and all night about that period because it was so brilliant but I don't want to monopolize the time here Oh, that's why we're here. That's the whole reason. That's right. <laughs> so uh, when you were growing up, we talked about this briefly a little bit ago. When you were growing up, what were maybe some of the songs or albums that really resonated with you when you first started to dig into his music? Okay. Well, what you got to remember is that in the 60s, the name on everybody's lips was Chet Atkins. 50s and 60s, he was like, he set the bar and no one's ever gone past that bar, you know. There are other people who've come along, like Leo Kotke and Doc Watson, Tony Rice, and people like that. But no one's ever set that incredible bar like Chet did. When he was young, he was a force of nature. His arranging skills were phenomenal. Um, and his, his ideas were just brilliant. There was a little bit of Django, a bit of Les Paul. There was a bit of uh, uh, Barney Kessel. There was a bit of Jim, uh, J- Jimmy Smith. There was a bit of Jerry Reed. There was, there was a bit of everything in Chet's ideas, you know, because he was such a great arranger and producer. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Uh, okay, so some of his early works. The song that everybody discovered Chet Atkins with was... The- on purpose by the way uh, anyway oh, of course <laughs> um, yeah so uh, you know we'd all get together and then of course Merle Travis's Cannonball Rag and and you know, Nine Pound Hammer and and then Doc came along with Deep River Blues so everybody was trying to play all that stuff you know um, so they're the kind of things but then of course you'd hear Chet the best of Chet Atkins album and he'd be playing two two songs at once you know he'd be going <laughs> And, and everybody's thinking, oh, that's a recording trick. And then you see him play it and he does it, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, there was a lot of those kind of things. Some of the early works that he did of Jerry Reed's songs were brilliant. Stuff like this. 
melody. Mm-hmm. And then he, nice change there at the end too. That nice yeah, little uh, yeah. Isn't that cool? That's a jet move, you know. And then there's a tune like this. like that see that that's so melodic and so singable and and that's chet and boodle o'brien who, who wrote all the everly brothers songs mm. um, boodle o'brien so you know and he had so many beautiful pieces and the and then he'd do stuff like mystery train but the the, the elvis presley tune <laughs> So, you know, I mean, he influenced me all my life. And, and if, if I go back and listen to his stuff now, now that I'm older and had a bit more experience, I can hear so much more in it because I've got something to, something to listen with, you know, some, some experience, some tools and some know what to listen for. And, and he's even better than I remember, you know. Listening to you play, Tommy, and... I can't stop moving in my chair, in my seat, my foots, my, my foots, my foots. Andy, it's called feet, it's plural, my feet. My foots is moving. My foots is moving. And in fact, I think that's probably accurate, you know, as <laughs> my foots is moving. And uh, so I was thinking that this is one of the qualities of your playing you. that you can't sit still. Yeah. And to the point where I was thinking, uh-oh, if my foot is moving, is this going to, you know, record? I, I don't want to, you know, mess up your, your you, playing. You Welcome to my world. When, when I record, I have to be so careful. Uh, even you wear here, socks? You just, like, wear socks? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, when the, the other day I was doing a worldwide thing where we were we were talking and then I'd play a bit just like we're doing now but it was uh, uh, it, it was for um, oh, some site anyway the guy asked me to play a bit of guitar boogie and I got wailing on it and I was like really getting into it and I didn't realize how hard I was banging my foot on the floor well the landlady here comes and knocks on my door and she says, is everything all right? And I said, why? She said, because the guy downstairs thinks we're having an earthquake. <laughs> yeah, so you know, if you nailed my foot to the ground, I couldn't play a note. I've got to be feeling every millisecond and every bit, you know, it's... It's just the way it is. But, you know, this kind of thumb and finger style is great for, for, for really getting the groove in there. I think that's why we loved Jerry Reed when we first heard him because he was, there was nobody who sounded like him, you know. Have you ever heard his introduction 
to Georgia on my mind. Check this out. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through. Just an old sweet song. Georgia on my mind. never heard anybody do that it's so piano mm-hmm. and that's what I love about it and it's something that has influenced me as a writer and a player in a good way whenever I can make piano sounds on the guitar it stops you sounding like every other guitar player right. you know what I mean? so I'm always looking for like a kind of gospel piano in that style and that's what i that's what i love that really grabs me straight away Mm -hmm. so uh if there's a young uh promising guitar student who maybe stumbled across your music and hears you talking so much about chet and decides to go to dig backwards well you can hope for that that's for sure it'll happen it's i'm sure it's happened time and time again it happened with me even in places like Russia and China, yeah. there are Chet Atkins, Merle Travis, and Jerry Reed disciples everywhere, and they all found them through coming to my shows. Where would you, if you were to give them, maybe point them towards two or three records that they that you can say, here's a good place to start to kind of help them cut through, because now it's like with the, on your phone, you have anything, the history of recorded music available, you know? Exactly. Where would you curate to kind of point them to guide them to what was uh, what would be some good stuff to listen to? Well, I think the first two albums that Chet did with Jerry Reed, me and Chet and me and Jerry, there's so much good playing and so many good ideas on those records. The album that Chet did with uh, Merle Travis has some of Chet's finest playing. Like when 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 he plays. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, playing playing melody like that Uh, see there's many facets of Chet's style that that have really influenced me for instance um do you guys remember Los Indias Tabajaras? Yeah. You That was a guy named Nato Lima, and he was from the jungles of Brazil, and him and his brother uh, learned to play music through reading reading uh, Chopin and Beethoven and all that sort of stuff in books. They taught themselves to play, and Chet signed them, and they had a big career going there back in the 60s. And Nato played the Del Vecchio 
resonator guitar and had that big singing vibrato. And he just stood out from everybody else and Chet was so influenced by him. And uh, so when you hear Chet playing melody like, like this, uh, uh, let's play. Uh, stuff that kind of stuff and then things like that that all that that style came from there and so it's a beautiful melodic thing so now what you know if I do a show where John Knowles the other one of the other CGPs he plays nylon string and does the backing and I'll I'll play the melody say if, if we do um, uh, how deep is your love? that melodic singing style of playing melody and I got that directly from 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 Chet who who got a lot of it from Django so you know that's the, the kind of evolution but yeah his influence has been in many ways you know and you mentioned so you mentioned those two records with Jerry Reed it seems like he had this real knack for finding yourself included finding the right guitar players to perform in duo because with Jerry and Mark Knopfler and yourself, it seems like those records in his catalog are like real standouts for guitar players. Wow. Thank you. Um, I think a lot of his early work, there's an album that I really loved called Hometown Guitar. Um, and that was uh, there's a photo of him standing near the station in Luttrell, which is the town where he was born in East Tennessee. And, um, uh, I never forgot that album. There's so many great songs on it and great, great arrangements. So then there was Solid Gold 69, Solid Gold 68. You know, these are like big hits of the day. And uh, then the early works, like uh, stuff like Main Street Breakdown and Gallopin' Guitar, that was, you can hear Django's influence on him. And it was because of his brother-in-law, Jethro Burns, the mandolin player. He was Chet's brother-in-law. Yeah, they married twin sisters. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. Somebody asked Jethro, how do you tell them apart? And he said, we try not to. <laughs> but, uh, Main Street Breakdown. <laughs> So, so. Yeah. 
can tell us Django in influence. But Chet was like 19 years old when he wrote that song. Yeah, there's another one called Gallop and Guitar. Has this cool little move in it. Check this out. So this is a B flat, and I'm going to flick off the third string. That's exactly how it ended. So Galloping Guitar. That was his first big kind of single. Came out in the late like 49 or something like that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Tommy, for spending some time uh, today to talk about uh, one of your heroes and mentors. And if people check out the description in the description below, wherever you might find this, I'll make a, a Spotify playlist uh, with thank any you. of all anything I could that you mentioned that I can find that's that's out there now. I'll pilot there, so we'll have a one-stop uh, shop to 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 get uh, some. This version of Ave Maria is is truly the the Mona Lisa of all all songs, all arrangements. I can't I can't wait to check that out. So, thanks again, Tommy, Andy, and uh, we'll be back on Friday with Tommy uh, one more time to finish this first week of the podcast. And uh, until then, we'll talk to you later.